Father God, it is wonderful to be here today, Lord. It is just a joy to hear um, the joking, the laughter, um, the, um, the piano uh, rehearsal before the service. Lord, all of it together is just, um, it brings out wonderful feelings of childhood church. And now um, all of us here just worshiping you, preparing to worship, just the buzz and hum of excitement, Lord. I pray that uh, as we go through Sunday school today, we can better understand your uh, epistles and your letters that were written, so much of our, our doctrine and our theology and our understanding of your nature and character comes from these, Lord, and I pray that we'll be better equipped to understand and interpret and appropriately apply sound principles to the uh, study of your word as a result of today's discussion and topic. I pray for the children's Sunday school as they are uh, today practicing Amazing Grace. They're working on the sign language and the lyrics and all of that wonderful stuff. And um, I pray that you will bless those children, Lord. Plant the seeds in their heads of the gospel. And Lord, may your Holy Spirit make it fertile fertile ground in their, in their hearts and in their minds. And I pray as well for the, the women involved in Sunday school. They are ministering to our children. I know three of my own are involved, and, and they minister to mine, and I am so blessed for it. I pray that they also are able to receive blessing from their interaction with children. And lastly, Lord, we pray for today's service. We pray that it is a time that honors and glorifies you, that our tithing, our singing, our amens, our note-taking, um, and our hearing of the word preached is a sweet incense to you, Lord. In your son's name I pray, amen. All right, we are going to get into the letters today, but we got to start off with some review. Uh, we talked about seven categories of psalms. Um, this isn't like an, a broad, completely agreed upon necessarily seven, but but it's seven really good categories um, to to put our psalms into. And um, our brother Mark covered them last week, so go ahead, throw them out there. Which ones you got? Lament. Lament. That was number one. That was in the number one spot. Yeah. Praise. <laughs> uh, praise. All right. Carol wants credit. What was that? Sung. Uh, no. That happens probably after a psalm is written, but um, no. Kind of, maybe. Yes, correct. It's not a category of psalm. Psalm, but it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. What'd you say, Joel? Oh, what'd you say? I'm trying to. No. Imprecatory. Imprecatory. Wisdom. Nailed it. Three more. Acrostic. No, but that was a topic covered. So that's a better answer than prophetic. So, uh, uh, don't hate me, Wayne. Uh, Thanksgiving, yes. He didn't come to men's ministry, so I, you know, I had he had it coming. We have two more left. You got it. Last one. <laughs> One more, one more. They brought their notes from last week. I'm 
Ah, wait, Mark, Mark missed last week. He's giving us answers. Okay, penitential is our last one. Penitential. All right. I recommend you all go back and listen to last week's Sunday school, and maybe uh, maybe we'd have this down a little better. <clears throat> all right. Today, we're, we're going to jump into the epistles, though. I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to this topic. Um, there's uh, some things here that I think will really help us. I know for me, things that would have helped me the first time I read the epistles, let alone the 50th, 100th time. Um, it'd be really helpful. So just as an overview, uh, out of the 27 books of the New Testament, 21 of them are letters. And letters are called uh, epistles. Epistles isn't a word solely to describe biblical letters, but uh, an epistle is a letter that is written carefully for the intention of being read publicly. So um, it, basically any kind of letter that's meant to be um, read to, um, to like a group, in our case a congregation, a church, um, or multiple churches. And a lot of times the feeling can be um, that you're overhearing someone else's conversation, right? Like you're the postal service, you happen to like peek into the letter, take a look, read it, but you're reading a conversation between, let's say, Paul and the church in Ephesus or Paul and the church in Corinth or Paul and Timothy. So um, it seems like it can be um, overheard, but they're absolutely from God and for us and for our benefit as well as being for a, a specific audience at the time. So then as far as the structure, the structure should feel pretty familiar. Um, so om- almost always, we'll look at an exception, but almost always um, in a letter or epistle starts off with a greeting um, that identifies the sender and the receiver of that letter. Uh, whoever has the mic, if you read our example in Galatians 1, 1 through 2. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor from man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. So it's from Paul to the churches of Galatia. We have in there a, like a credentializing statement, um, and, and we get a few in there, or a lot of times there's some important theology that's being taught in that greeting, and we'll look at that as well. Um, and you can even see uh, our next bullet point there talks about a a lot of the letters, and I say a lot, not all for sure, but a lot of the letters, you almost get this kind of summary statement in in the greeting as part of that kind of long greeting. You'll get items that are going to be key themes for what's going on in the rest of of the epistle. And, um, And so what you want to be really careful of is it's really easy to get reading quickly through that intro and that greeting, the first couple verses. Then you get to the first header of the like what we're going to call the core material, uh, or the you know the core portion of a letter normally. But really, that greeting is not something to speed through at all. Um, tells us audience, it gets us in the mind of the author, but then also a lot of times there's some critical theology in there. Uh, we're going to, let's see here, let's look at uh, an example of this in Titus 1, 1 through 4. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word 
through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Savior. So I think it's verse 1, we have Paul saying from Paul, and then I believe verse 3, um, I'm not looking at but verse 3, you end up to Titus, but between Paul and Titus in the sender and receiver, we have a whole lot in there, um, a whole lot of, of substance that there is to study, but it is still technically part of that greeting in the structure. Uh, let's look at a noticeable exception in this greeting being built into the structure of a letter in Hebrews 1.1. 1, 1. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So in this case, Hebrews 1.1, there's just no greeting. It gets right into it. Um, it talks about our fathers. Like, there's already, um, there's clearly some level of knowledge um, or, or talking about a community and group by using the word are. There's an inclusiveness and potentially a familiarity there. But there's not that typical, what we see in the other epistles of a greeting with a, a sender, a receiver identified, and potentially um, some theology and summary statements in the first verses. So following in the structure after the greeting, typically we have a thanksgiving or prayer kind of statement. Um, and let's look at an example in Philemon verses four through seven. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in, in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brothers, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So in that case, we have a thankfulness and then reference to his prayers as well. And we see this in a lot of epistles. But as you're going to see as we go through more and more of the, of the letter's uh, structure in particular, it's really noteworthy when a book or in a letter is, does not have a piece of structure. So just like we looked at Hebrews 1.1, let's look at Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 through 10. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, According to the will of our God and Father, to whom the glory, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For, I, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So in this case, we transition from verse 5, um, which is kind of that end of the intro or greeting, and go right into the content. We skip the Thanksgiving prayer section um, that we just talked about. But you look at the content. I mean, in verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. 
there's no room for a thanks a Thanksgiving statement between the greeting and getting into the content. So um, there's a, the absence of this is noteworthy. That you can see the earnestness of Paul, and there's almost I feel like exclamation points at the end of every statement um, because. Paul, who normally is like flowing with these flowery, loving, kind words at the beginning of these epistles, gets right into how he's astonished. Um, so we, we have this structure so far, greeting, usually a thanksgiving or prayer, and then as we get into the core material, um, it can generally be divided, and it's generally even softer than some of these other soft statements, um, into theological and ethical instructions. We see that with a few epistles. The realities are some that it's hard to divide into sub subcategories um, on that broad of a level. Um, you can maybe get into maybe a letter having seven or eight subcategories. But we're going to look at an example where, uh, or we're not going to look at an example, excuse me, it's too much territory to cover. But Ephesians, I put the verses in there so you can take a look um, on your own time and see kind of that division that we see in a few of our epistles where... Um, you get in the core material, and it's divided into theological and then ethical um, instruction. Um, let's look at an example of a benediction. So usually uh, then after you have our greeting, our thanksgiving or prayer, you have the core material, and then you have a benediction or a closing. Um, let's look at Ephesians six twenty-one through 24. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how you are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Thank you. So um, a lot of these are where I think uh, many of our benedictions come from as well in church. Um, not like we personally use um, a passage from Numbers, but the a lot of benedictions at churches that maybe cycle through benedictions might pull from the ends of some of these letters. Um, but uh, I think, and I decided kind of in the moment here, how about I'm going to read the end of Galatians. So if you're in Ephesians, you could just pull back and look or, or just listen. So Galatians, which started off with no Thanksgiving statement after our greeting, I'm going to read you the, the kind of the benediction. And it's titled Final Warning and Benediction, starting in verse 11. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may be may not be persecuted persecuted for the cross of Christ for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. 
So you can just see the tone difference of that closing versus even what was in Ephesians and the way the way it ends. Um, so I think I think as you start to the way I would approach the structure of these epistles is start off before you ever get into like reading through it, start off and see if you can make an outline of the letter and figure out what's going on here. Where are the chunks? Is there a way to divide some of this? And many of our study Bibles do this for us at the, in the kind of intro notes. But you, a lot of times, just even by looking at the greeting and closing, you can get a whole lot of, of preparation for what it is you're about to read in the middle. All right. Any questions or comments about the, uh, about the structure of epistles before we get into some of the content? All right. So our, next up, we have the literary forms and the occasional nature uh, of, of the letters. So we see um, in terms of literary forms, we see some hymns and confessions that are, uh, we don't know if they're referenced or if they're being established for the first time, but clearly the author believes them to be true. And so one of these examples would be in 2 Timothy 11 through 13. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. All right, and I think um, for those who did, weren't turned there, you'd see it even indented. There's a couple others that uh, the author, um, Robert Plummer, um, the author of, of our book that we're, we're primarily using as a resource, um, called out that actually aren't indented as well and areas that, um, frankly, I, w- I would want to study more. I'm, I'm definitely curious about. But we do see some of this poetic, at least at minimum, if not kind of chanting or this um, uh, confession type approach in scripture or in these, li- in these letters specifically. But then we also see actually diatribes um, in them as well which we, I know I use diatribes quite a lot. It's a argument with a fictitious person or a fictitious partner. So a lot of times you might say something like, um, yeah, so, so you know, someone might ask me and you pose yourself a hypothetical question or challenge so that you can make the statement you want to make, but you've teed it up because maybe it's a common thing that gets asked or you, you know what this person's really trying to get at. So you put it out there for them without accusing them of, of accusing you. So it's a, it can be an effective discussion and debate uh, approach. And we see a couple examples here. So let's look at Romans 9.20. But who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? So in this case, we're, we're not told a specific person, but who are you? It's, it's a general, it's uh, assumption and knowledge and understanding that we do question God. So it's not a specific person or a specific person who's arguing that. It's that there's a, he's teed it up with this um, technically fictitious, not a quote necessarily, but a true statement all the same. And then uh, the next passage we had there was James 2, 18 through 20. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? 
So in that case, it starts off with some will say, right? Some will say it's, it's preempting this, this um, argument or debate. That would be a diatribe. We see those um, frequently in the epistles. Uh, the next bullet point you'll see there, epistles are not systematic theology. The reality is they are, they are letters written at, in a time and place. So they're passionate, authoritative, appeals to a specific people at a specific geography at a specific time. So we, and we get a lot of that in the greetings and in the benediction. We get a lot of that detail. But that specificity um, that comes through is still applicable to us uh, even though we're trying to get into the mind of the author and ultimately understand what God is trying to communicate through the author, um, there is still a time and a place. And so when I say it's not a systematic theology, the intent there is to say that it's, it's not an exhaustive manual necessarily, it is, but instead it's a letter from which we are pulling this information that might fill our systematic theologies and we might build, we're going to build theology off of, um, but do not forget also that it is a specific letter uh, to a specific person or group. Uh, what we see is um, the authors actually communicate an intention for this to be re- for them to be read, and so by um, uh, there's probably like a mathematical term for like the hmm, I'm trying to think of what that might be, but um, basically we're we're going to continue to apply that even beyond necessarily churches and regions in the era of Paul in that first century AD. Instead, now it, 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 you can see the example of it continuing onward for us today still being applicable. And they reference this reading of by people other than just the intended recipient written into the, into the um, greeting. Instead, we see others are intended and to read this or at minimum that the authors know they're going to be read and encourage that. So let's look at uh, three different examples of this. First, in Colossians 4.16. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. So we see this example, wrote a letter to one audience, but says, hey, read it to them. There was another letter written, uh, have that letter read as well. And let's look at an example in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So all those who call upon the name of Jesus Christ, that is us, praise the Lord. So absolutely applicable to us. And then Philemon, verses 1 and 2. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Athena, our sister, and... I'm not looking at it. I'm sorry. (laughs) What is it? Acrippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in our home. So, uh, and if you know Philemon, this is, to me, one of the more personal letters. It is... is one chapter, right? It's it's short, but he's talking about Onesimus and the owning of of a slave and the fact that um, basically, like, there's this just wonderful exchange between the two of them, and it seems very personal. And they talk about personal relationship, but in the greeting, he says, like, read it to the church. Like, there is edification for the church, um, even in this 
one of the most personal letter, personal feeling letters in terms of the audience is not necessarily the initial audience isn't a, a church, but instead an individual um, that he's writing to. Um, so we see this this intention that although written to a specific audience, and we should be aware of what's going on, just like at the church in Galatia, where we see he gets into a specific issue with a specific church, there's still obviously intention for it to be read more broadly. Uh, the authors knew they were writing scripture. Um, so we're going to see in 2 Peter 3.16 where Peter references um, the writings of Paul as scripture. So there was known that these letters are scripture. Uh, so 2 Peter 3.16. As he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist in their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So in this case, the other scriptures, by inference, he is pulling it into being scripture. Uh, so they are not, I was practicing this word in the card, they are not written uh, pseudonymously. Pseudonymously. I've said pseudonym like a lot, but pseudonymously is not, uh, not a word I say out loud very often. So what I mean by that is they are not written under the guise of another author. And this is a big deal because maybe in our church you don't think about that much, but in terms of the world and in more liberal approaches to scripture, what you're going to get is people saying, well, maybe so-and-so didn't write it. They're writing it under that pen name, but really it was a scribe or someone else, um, and they're trying to undermine the scripture and the, the author of scripture and the accuracy. And so if anyone tries to approach you with that, you should recognize it as absolutely wrong. And let's look at an example of them specifically calling, or this specifically being called out, um, uh, or maybe not specifically, but we can clearly infer that the idea of writing under anyone else's names other than those who say this is who I am would be, would be wrong. In 2 Thessalonians 2.2. 2. All right, I'll start in verse 1 since it's Deal. Mid, mid-sentence there. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So seeming to be from us. Like they, they're saying, if you're, if, don't be shaken by a letter that seems to be from us. So in other words, it, if other people are now trying to do a kind of pseudonymously write a letter, um, then under their name and trying to deceive, um, it, it's clearly wrong, and they're ta- they're telling them to not be discouraged by that uh, or be t- to be taken aback by that um, guys. So if anyone tries to approach you with well, the author, we don't know. Just like, you know, Hebrews doesn't have an author at the beginning. We, some of these others, they have names. No, none of that. We have no room for that. So before we get into guidelines on interpreting the content, we, we looked at some of these literary forms, the nature of letters, um, and the structure. Any questions or comments on what we've studied so far or discussed so far? Oh, here. Thanks, Mark. And thank you, Steve, for waiting for the microphone. Such a great example. Uh, Just a clarification. When we say something written synonymously, that's different from something being written anonymously where we don't necessarily know who the author is. Exactly. So Hebrews may not 
address the title of the author, but it's different to have like a pen name and say, you know, I wrote the Sunday School, but if I were to say, well, put Nick's name on it to try to give it more um, importance because he's a pastor and an elder and say, oh, a pastor and an elder wrote this instead of me writing this, this document, that would be a pseudonym and, and wrong. Whereas Hebrews is more on the anonymous side. We, we kind of conject as to who wrote it, but yeah, yeah, there's a difference. Great point. Okay, so let's look into how we interpret letters. Um, how do we interpret letters, a general guidelines? So a lot of these things I think we actually do naturally, but what's great is I th- just like we covered some of the um, idioms or different, different ways of using um, figures of speech, and it's really helpful to know and call out something's going on here that maybe we understand intuitively with language, but there's still a, a beneficial knowledge of knowing specifically what's happening in front of you. Um, in the same way, I think a lot of the stuff we do but if we do it with more intent and with more understanding of what we're doing, um, it will be quite helpful. And the, the first example here is mirror reading. So uh, we should do mirror reading, but we should do it with caution. So mirror reading, I think we do this all the time. You hear one person on the phone. So if I hear my wife talking on the phone, I'm guessing based on the tone of what she's saying, I'm guessing based on the context, even though I'm hearing one half of the conversation, I can usually piece together, oh, she's talking to her mom. Okay, this is kind of what it's being talked about. Babies being annoying, whatever, you know, that kind of thing, right? No, and so it's, it's this idea of building out and putting together the context or what's going on in the situation despite only having one half of the conversation. So the letters, that's all of them. We, we're not getting the church and then the church said. Instead, what we're getting is we get a letter and from it we can build out context and build out through this mirror reading Um, a lot of the situation of what's going on with the church that's receiving the instruction. Um, So uh, let's look at uh, an example. First John, um, the the next few people, if you wouldn't mind turning to first John, we're going to move through here, but we're going to do, we're going to do our best here to kind of put together what is some of the context uh, from the context? What is some of the situation we could probably fairly assess is happening um, in the church uh, or at the time of the writing of, of First John. Um, so let's look. Firstly, we're, um, one of the conclusions we could draw is that some persons have split away from the community that John addresses. And let's look at First John two nineteen. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us. They would have continued with us, but they went out that it might be complained that they all are not of us. Thank you. So we see there there's a group that split off. Then these persons, uh, the persons who departed, hold to a Christological heresy. First uh, John 2, 20 through 26. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have knowledge I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and the Father and in the Father. 
And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. So this, I mean, core, wonderful teaching um, here, if you see, is a transition. It's the very next verse after talking about the group that's leaving. So we can see here that it it is natural to uh, assume that then the group who split away, the reason for this teaching is that there is at least some of the people who departed hold to a heresy that needs to be um, dealt with, and in this case, truth be reaffirmed um, uh, from John. And then uh, the persons who departed exhibited loveless and immoral behavior. Uh, we're going to look at 1 John 2, 3 through 6, and then chapter 3, 10 through 12. And by this we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And then you can pass the mic off. You can read three, whichever you prefer. But let's jump into three, ten through twelve. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who the children of who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness, righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and, was, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because he, he, his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. So we, we have this teaching on, on be, loving behavior, behavior towards other believers. Um, uh, and so we can infer that this group that left had loveless and immoral behavior. And then um, uh, we have here the root issue of who truly belongs to God and the assurance of God's salvation seemed troubling to the community to which John writes, John five thirteen. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So in, in, in all of these cases, what, what we're doing here is we're able to understand or maybe, maybe you naturally just pick up on this when you read the, um, the situation that is at hand. What, what the audience um, that is receiving the letter, what they're maybe experiencing or going through. Um, we should be cautious in this because in this case, right, we're, with our, I use the word assume, infer, like these are not, um, these are assumptions. They're assumptions. And so we should be careful to know that. And ultimately, the intended audience it, it, for us when we read it is us. We're, we're the ones who are applying this to ourselves and to our behavior and our understanding and knowledge of God. And so with that should come um, Sure, an understanding of the situation going on and the geography, time and place, but also application to us. So then we're going to look next at dividing the text into discourse units and literary keys. Um, So basically, the idea here is that when you go through a letter, um, some of these letters, Philemon, you can go through it and get the the content fully and, and maybe break it up well. But some of these letters, 1 Corinthians, I mean, has so much going on in it, so much content in it, that it's helpful to break up sections and figure out what is going on in the discourse there, what's going on in that section. And um, to understand or see where these subsets are, 
what can kind of give us some key warnings are um, asking, does the author change topics? Did they, did they change topics? Did they shift from third to second person? Does the author use conjunctions or exclamations to signal a movement to a new subject? And thankfully, I mean, we have, we, in our modern Bibles, we have those headers. They're, they're not inspired, but they're helpful a lot of times um, where these headers show us the transitions or they help call those out for us. Um, but, it, but even within those, we see some of these transition statements. And um, in a moment, we're, uh, or now we're going to start to look at those. But it can be really helpful just to slow down, figure out what's transitioning. Oh, we're transitioning. So then what, what did I just read? What was the block of context from which I just read? All right. So then um, these keywords that, kind of, that can signify um, some information of what we read is, um, is the teaching causal. So because, if you see the word because, something caused something. Is the teaching concessive? So the, you have the keyword although. And then is the teaching instrumental? Um, so keywords by means of. So an, uh, a vessel, an instrument. Uh, and then uh, try to determine the meaning of these individual words. So not necessarily saying go on full word study. We've talked before about the difficulty of that and where people can go astray with word studies. Um, but do your best, especially for those of us who maybe um, have heard Christian words for a long time and and you're so exposed to them that maybe they, um, you're, you have trouble specifically defining them. Or for the newer believers as well, just as valuable, if you're reading some word that you're like, I would never use this word outside of this building, then um, it's, it's worth trying to understand those specific words to help us understand what we're reading. Yes? Would therefore be one? Would therefore. You know, because you have that list and then it, it'll yeah. say therefore. You yeah, be, yep. And it's based on what yeah, I, I, I would say absolutely. That's a linking, like a linking statement. So you're going from one to another um, as well. Yep, absolutely. Okay, so now I'm hoping we can go through this example here. Um, uh, Robert Plummer kind of laid out, I think, a, a really cool example in 1 Corinthians 8. I'm going to read that chapter, and then we're going to work our way through how to take a, um, or a way of, of kind of looking at an example of a writing that was maybe a bit strange to us on its surface because it's written to a specific audience and cultural things have shifted. Um, so in, in 1 Corinthians 8, it's talking about food offered to idols. This isn't something, I'm guessing not a lot of us have access to food offered to idols, but clearly there's teaching that's valuable to us. And we're going to look through an example of applying something that might be a little bit culturally different, difficult, um, but, um, but then how we could maybe go about reading it and taking away um, uh, information that is applicable to today from the correct teaching um, then. Uh, so I will read uh, quickly 1 Corinthians 8. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up and loves build up. But love, excuse me, this knowledge puffs up, but loves builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and there is that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, 
as indeed there are many gods and many lords. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating, it, uh, excuse me, for if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if, he is con- if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brothers stumble, my brother stumble. So there's absolutely application here. I'll move through it quickly. But Plummer lines out that uh, their ethical reflection must be rooted in theological truth. Paul appeals to biblical monotheism, shows that idols are nothing in and of themselves. From a biblical perspective, there are three moral categories, right, wrong, and inconsequential. Even if a behavior is not objectively morally wrong, if a person thinks it's wrong, then commits that behavior, he sins. A Christian should show sacrificial love in protecting other Christians from temptation and sin, even when those other Christians somehow are weak or immature in their judgment. Christians' behavior should not be governed simply by the ultimate categories of right and wrong. In the realm of inconsequential, a Christian's behavior must be shaped by a dual concern for other Christians' spiritual health and for the conversion of non-believers. So although it starts off with the premise and set in the culture and structure of food offered to idols, which is absolutely uh, prevalent at this time and something that would probably be a very real tangible example, it is still all all the more, uh, or we are still able to see its relevant application um, of the rest of that chapter or this portion of the letter um, to the church in Corinth and apply it to us. Okay. I have one minute left. Any comments, questions, concerns? All right. Um, I, I, I was really encouraged by this. I was really encouraged by when I was studying this, I thought, man, I, I need to jump into an epistle now. I really need to jump into an epistle. Uh, I want to get a notebook out and sketch out an outline the way I do Sunday school or other things. Um, and um, I'm hoping you all will be as edified in your study of Scripture each day this week. Let's pray. God, we, we are so grateful for your word. You do not leave us on an island alone trying to guess at things. You, you give us specific, correct teaching. You confirm that teaching, and you give us this teaching in a way in which it is unquestionable and it is uh, clear to our consciences because of the Holy Spirit that this is the very word of God, and we thank you for that. We thank you for the authors who wrote it and for the style and the ways in which they're written, Lord, and the, um, just the way it's been given to us. We're also grateful for the, our time and place in history where we have access to Scripture in ways that others don't. Anybody um, with an Internet connection can have access to the Word of God. 
And Lord, we are so grateful for all the resources you put in front of us. But Lord, help us remember that the best thing we can do is to just study it ourselves, to delve into it, to know it, to meditate on it daily, Lord. Help us to steep in it so much that it just flows out of our mouths when we speak, um, that when we encourage our brothers and sisters, that they, they hear scripture as the encouragement, not necessarily an eloquent thought, Lord. And when, they, when our brothers and sisters hear a rebuke, Lord, may it be loving and from scripture. Lord, help us to understand what you would have us to know from your epistles, Lord. Pray you bless this service we're about to partake in. I pray that you prepare our hearts. Make them ready to worship you, Lord. Our hearts are fallen and sinful, and yet you have made them clean through your son's sacrifice. And we pray that we will bring a clean heart to you today for worship, Lord, and provide a clean and holy offering to you uh, in our worship. In your son's name I pray. Amen. Amen.